Good morning. This morning's reading is from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. That's page 1130 in your church Bibles. Page 1130 in your church Bibles. Righteousness through faith. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely to have the opportunity to speak about this amazing passage in Romans chapter 3. And I want to start with a film that probably uh, most of us have seen, uh, a film set in ancient Rome called Gladiator. And if you've seen it, you'll know that Russell Crowe is the chief gladiator and he, he triumphs against all adversity. And at the center of the, 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 all the fights in the arena, there's this idea that the emperor decides the fate of the gladiator. And at the end of the fight, it all depends on which way the emperor's thumb points. Does his thumb point upwards or downwards? And uh, that decides uh, his fate. The gladiator will either live or die depending on the direction of the emperor's thumb. And in a way, this is where we all stand after Richard's uh, talk last week as we thought about sin as we thought about the impact of sin on our lives, the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God mean that we all stand in that same place, waiting for judgment on our lives. And the good news that we're going to look at this week is the fact that God is going to give us a thumbs up. This is the amazing truth of this passage, that God is going to step into the arena in the form of Jesus, and he's going to make sure that we are always safe with him, that we are saved. This is about our salvation, that we are saved. And salvation's a bit of a funny word, isn't it? Um, you don't, we don't use it very much, but it's this amazing truth that we are saved. God sent Jesus on this 
awesome rescue mission so that we could be saved. So that God's thumb would always be up over us. So, we're on this trip through the book of Romans. And we're looking at this whole letter as a mountain. And so far we've thought about uh, the starting place that Paul sees that the gospel is great good news. Great good news for everyone. But last week... Uh, Richard helped us to think about sin and how, uh, what sin is and who it affects and the damage that it does in our lives and in our world. And so today, we're climbing up the slope of salvation. And uh, we need to get up out of that place of sin. This is the good news, that we are on this journey and God is going to lift us up. It's not about how much we do, but how much he has done for us. And the big question that we need to face today is if we've heard that we all stand before God and we have all fallen short and all have sinned, then how can a just God deliver us who are guilty from the judgment that we deserve? That's the big question that we're going to look at today. That's the question about how we are saved. How do we have this gift of salvation? But before we think about that, we need to think a bit about how this fits into our world. Are people really worried in our world about whether they're going to be judged by God? Seems to me that most people are far busier judging other people on social media or the television. We sit and decide who's going to win Strictly or Britain's Got Talent. We judge other people and we see who uh, who's in the right and who's in the wrong, whether that's in wars and conflicts, who's right or who's wrong, or in presidential elections, or in the politics that we're going to have to uh, grapple with this year as there's another general election, who's right and who's wrong. It's not who's right before God, but who we decide to be right in our lives. But just because people aren't thinking about this issue, that we're all going to face judgment, doesn't mean that it's not there for each one of us. Any doctor will tell you of people who've been blissfully unaware of a serious condition that's there in their lives. Just because something isn't on trend doesn't mean it isn't true. This is something that we all have to face. And it's summed up in this, these two verses that come together. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace. We all need salvation, we all have messed up, but God has provided Jesus, and we are justified freely by his grace. This is a free gift. We are no longer condemned by our guilt or our sin, but set free by God's grace. And this is hard for us to grasp sometimes because it's not how we work, is it? When people do wrong things against us, we don't usually think immediately about the grace that we're going to bestow on them. I don't know about you, but when someone cuts in on me uh, on the motorway or um, steps out on a, a zebra crossing right in front of me and then walks very slowly across it when I'm in a hurry... I don't immediately think about the grace and the forgiveness. I sometimes think other thoughts. 
But God isn't like that. God is a God of love and grace and forgiveness. And so we need to think about what grace is. And the best definition, I've been looking at definitions of grace for, for years and years. The best definition of grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. We get these gifts of mercy and peace and forgiveness. All the gifts of God, God's riches, and we're given those at Christ's expense because Jesus died for us. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's salvation, his saving risk rescue mission, comes to us not because of anything that we've done, but despite what we've done. And then having made this big point, Paul moves on in these verses to paint three pictures with the specific words that he uses that are going to connect with the people who hear this letter. And so that's what we're going to look at now. And it gets a bit technical, but it's not about understanding all the nuances. It's about realizing that it's Jesus who saves us and all that he's done. So the first word that Paul uses, a specific word from the times that this letter was written, is the word redemption. And the word redemption is a word that comes from the slave markets. The redemption is the price that you need to pay to free a slave or to buy a slave. The redemption is the price on that person's head. And we have to remember that Rome could only function at that time because a third of the population were slaves. And the armies of the Roman Empire would bring captive people back to Rome after they'd conquered another nation. They'd be part of the victory parade through the streets in front of the forum and the temples. And then the people would go to the slave markets and they'd be sold. Men and women and children would stand on a stage like this with a price around their necks. And that price was their redemption. Imagine this letter being read out to a house church in Rome and there are slaves there and they hear this redemption word. It's the word that means freedom for them. If someone's going to pay that price for them, they will be set free. As well as sold into slavery, they can be bought out of slavery into freedom. This is the word that means hope to the slave. This is the good news, that Jesus has paid our price, the price of our ransom, so that we can be free. And one of the best examples of this is in the book and the film Les Miserables, and it's a poignant scene that captures the essence of redemption when the shady character Jean Valjean takes refuge in a monastery where the kind bishop gives him dinner and a bed for the night. But despite the bishop's generosity, Valjean steals the silverware and he strikes the bishop in the face as he runs away into the night. The next day, Valjean is caught by the gendarmes and returned to the monastery. And in a deeply moving scene, the bishop insists that he's given the silverware to Valjean. And he says to him, why didn't you take the candlesticks? as well. They were worth 2,000 francs. And later on in a private conversation, 
Valjean asked the bishop, why are you doing this? To which he replies, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. And Valjean goes on to lead a good life. He has been brought out of slavery and given a new freedom. That's the first picture. We are redeemed. The second picture is about sacrifice. And remember, there are Jewish people in this church in Rome, and they would have been able to explain this better to those around them. But but, um, Paul uses a, a specific word to describe the sacrifice of atonement that Jesus has made. And sacrifices in ancient Rome were things that everybody did all the time. You went to the temple of your God and you made a costly sacrifice to get yourselves right with God again. So imagine, imagine hearing that God has made a sacrifice for you. That he has paid the price to make you right with him. Do you see how countercultural that is? A complete reversal of what people would expect. But God makes the sacrifice for us. And Paul uses a very specific word for this sacrifice. The sacrifice of atonement, he says, is the hylesterion. That's what it is in Greek. And in the Temple of Solomon, there was uh, a gradual movement from one end to the other And as you move towards the Holy of Holies, things became more holy. Things became more serious with God. The Holy of Holies was the place where heaven and earth overlapped, where God dwelt among his people. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was carried through the desert, contained the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets. And this was the most holy place. And on one day in the year, the blood of the sacrifices that were made on the altar were brought into the Holy of Holies and were sprinkled over the top, over the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. God presented Christ as a hylesterion. The name of the atonement sacrifice is the same as the name of the place where it was made. A bit like a bakery is a place where people bake. The, the place where it was made was the Hylosterion. The place where it was made was this mercy seat on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. The blood of the perfect sacrifice atones for the sin of all the people. This happened once a year in the time of the Old Testament, but it happens for us in Jesus Christ. His blood is made a sacrifice at this place on this mercy seat so that all our sins can be forgiven as the old hymn puts it what can wash away our sin nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus Jesus blood is poured out for us at this special place to make sure that we know that we are forgiven. 
Jesus died that we might be forgiven. And whether we understand the details or not, the passage makes sense of these words that we use in communion, that he is a perfect sacrifice made once for all. Here we are forgiven. So we have redemption in the slave market and a sacrifice in the temple. And then the third picture is of justice in the law courts. Remember, Paul himself was often brought before the magistrates or brought before the court. He goes to a court in Jerusalem. He's in a court in Caesarea. The Christians at that time would often be taken to court because of their beliefs. So the justice system was a common picture that they all would have been uh, very familiar with. And Paul says that God, who is the judge, he makes this sacrifice of Jesus on the cross so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time. God can't just sweep all our sins under the carpet and pretend they didn't happen. Instead, the justice of God must be satisfied. And this happens on the walls outside Jerusalem in the year AD 30 when Jesus dies for our sins, the sins of the whole world. The righteous one took on our guilt and took our place. Jesus comes to stand between us and the judge. He takes our place. The wrath of God, the judgment of God falls upon Jesus. And when God looks towards us, he sees Jesus and he sees his holiness, his righteousness, and they become ours. There's this substitution, this replacement. Jesus stands in our place and takes our sentence. We are justified because of him. And justified means that it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. We are justified before God. It's just as if I'd never sinned because Jesus stands in our place. The result of our faith in Jesus is that we can trust and believe that we are made right with God. We have this righteousness, this holiness that we can put on over all of the stains of our sin and our guilt. This salvation is available to everyone. For just as we are all sinners, we are all justified by Jesus. Whoever we are, we have access to this free gift of grace. This is the awesome good news. Justification is like a bridge that takes us from one place to another. We were separated from God, but now we can come into his kingdom, into his family, and experience a new adventure of faith. And we had a brilliant example of this on uh, Wednesday night at our Alpha course. Uh, one of the people on the course has come back. He came last year. He had um, a, an amazing emotional experience of the presence of God. He'd been in a dark place. He'd done some not such good things, made some bad choices. But he'd had this experience of God and he came to the Alpha course last year. And this year he's come back to help on the Alpha course to help other people have that same experience. And he was a teacher uh, at a school. And he was a teacher before he met God and a teacher 
now after he's met God. And he says, I see now so many examples of God's grace in each and every day. When the children come to me and they've understood something for the first time, I see that grace in their faces, that excitement of something new. When they come and they pour out their hearts to me and I can help them by listening to them, I can bring God's grace into their lives. His life has been changed completely. He's still doing the same job, but it's a completely different job because God is with him. With him. He's in God's kingdom. He's living in a new way because he has been saved. This is what we can experience through all that Jesus has done for us. Paul goes on to talk about Abraham in Romans chapter 4, about how Abraham and Sarah trusted God. Even though they were old, they trusted God's promises. And because they trusted, it was accounted as righteousness to them. Paul says we should follow in their footsteps. We need to trust these promises of God's salvation. So what are we going to take away from this today? This amazing truth that we are redeemed, forgiven and justified. The first thing is that it is a free gift. So none of us can boast. You can't boast in being given a free gift, can you? And so we mustn't think of ourselves as any better than those around us. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes I meet people and they say, oh, well, I couldn't come to church because I'm not a good enough person. And we may be part of the problem in that. They may look at us and think we are good people. We need to be open about our vulnerabilities, the fact that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're not here because of anything we've done, but because of this gift that we've been given. And we should lead thankful lives because of this gift that's been freely given to us. We should always be giving thanks. This is bigger than winning the lottery. This is eternal life. This is a whole new life in and through God and Jesus Christ. We should lead thankful lives giving praise to God. And then secondly, we need, to, we need to grasp just how good this this good news is. Because no matter where you are in your journey of faith, if this is all new to you and something that you've never heard of before, you are redeemed and forgiven and justified because of what Jesus has done. You may not understand it, you may not have explored it, but you are justified. You are made just, made right with God because he redeemed and, and has forgiven you. And if you're just beginning to experience this grace and this peace, then rest, in, rest secure in the knowledge that this is real and true, that Jesus died for you and God's thumb is up over your life and will always be a thumbs up over your life. And if you've been a Christian for a while and perhaps uh, this journey is one that's taken its toll, perhaps you might be struggling or challenged, facing challenges, then hold on to this truth that Jesus is the one who set you free for he is the perfect sacrifice and he's paid the price for our freedom. 
hold on to the amazing truth that we find in these few verses. Just five verses. Go back and read them again. Read them tonight. Read them tomorrow morning. Read them every day to make sure that you're aware that this is our truth. God has set us free. This truth has been the foundation of our faith for 2,000 years. We are redeemed. We are justified. We are forgiven. God's thumb is up and over all of our lives. This is the truth that's found in Jesus, in a person, in our relationship with him. For he is our Lord and he is our saviour, now and forever. Amen.